Please remain standing and turn your Bibles, please, to 2 Kings chapter 14. 2 Kings chapter 14. We'll work through the entire chapter, but we'll read uh, selected verses, beginning with verse 1. In the second year of Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, king of Israel, Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, became king. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoadan of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, yet not like his father David. He did everything as his father Joash had done. However, the high places were not taken away, and the people still sacrificed and burnt incense on the high places. Now it happened as soon as the kingdom was established in his hand that he executed his servants who had murdered his father the king, but the children of the murderers he did not execute according to what was written in the book of the law of Moses, in which the Lord commanded, saying, Fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall children be put to death for their fathers, but a person shall be put to death for his own sin. He killed 10,000 Edomites in the valley of Salt and took Selah by war and called his name Joktiel to this day. Then Amaziah sent messengers to Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, king of Israel, saying, Come, let us face one another in battle. And Jehoash, king of Israel, sent Amaziah, king of Judah, saying, The thistle that was in Lebanon sent to the cedar that was in Lebanon, saying, Give your daughter to my son as wife. And a wild beast that was in Lebanon passed by and trampled the thistle. You have indeed defeated Edom, and your heart has lifted you up. Glory in that, and stay at home. For why should you meddle with trouble so that you fall, you and Judah with you? But Amaziah would not heed. Therefore Jehoash, king of Israel, went out. So he and Amaziah, king of Judah, faced one another at Beth Shemesh, which belongs to Judah. And Judah was defeated by Israel, and every man fled to his tent. Then Jehoash, king of Israel, captured Amaziah, king of Judah, the son of Jehoash, the son of Azziah, at Beth Shemesh. And he went to Jerusalem and broke down the wall of Jerusalem from the gate of Ephraim to the corner gate, 400 cubits. And he took all the gold and silver, all the articles that were found in the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and hostages and returned to Samaria. Now verse 23. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria and reigned 41 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. He restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-Hefer. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, and whether bond or free, there was no helper for Israel. And the Lord did not say that he would not blot out the name of Israel from under heaven. But he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. And may God add his richest blessing to the reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? 
Again, our Father, we're thankful for your word and we pray that by the power of your spirit that you would come and speak your word to us, that we would hear the voice of our good shepherd in our hearts and hearing his voice, that his sheep would know him and follow him and offer our hearts to him promptly and sincerely in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. Stability in a crazy world. We know that all scripture is inspired and perfect and it is profitable to us. But the profitability of some scriptures is more obvious than others. And this is one of those passages that may require some digging to find its profitability. But it's there. In many ways, on the surface, it just seems like more of the same. There's another king in Judah to the south who is okay, but he makes terrible mistakes. Then there is a bad king in Israel to the north, but some good things happen in spite of him. And they all seem like they have the same names over and over again, and it's confusing. So what are we supposed to make of that? So many of the problems that we face are really no different from the problems they had in this passage. There's one king in this passage whom the text says is bad. Yet he actually has some sense, though he's a bad man. The other king whom the text says is at least partly good makes a foolish and tragic decision. A king starts a war he can't win and does not win. Many people die needlessly. God's people are divided into two kingdoms and those kingdoms are at war with each other. In other words... The world was as crazy back then as it is now. With much the same problems. But if we'll dig a little bit, we'll see that this passage shows us what it is that gives stability in this crazy world. Let's look at it. First, in this passage, we see a bad, good king. Now, you've got to keep this in order. This one is a bad, good king. Look at verse 1. In the second year of Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, king of Israel, Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, became king. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoadan of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, yet not like his father David. He did everything as his father Joash had done. However, the high places were not taken away, and the people still sacrificed and burnt incense on the high places. 
Now, you see, in verse 3, it says that Amaziah king did what was right in the eyes of the Lord yet or but or however the adversative conjunction he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord yet he was not like David he was like his father Joash now you remember Joash he was the baby who was saved from the murderous ways of his grandmother, Athaliah. And he was protected in the temple and he grew up. And Joash was a good king for a good while. But after Jehoiada the priest died and his influence over him was taken away, Joash began to go bad. And you remember he wound up being murdered by some of his servants who had conspired to knock him off. Now here in verse 3, it says that his son, Amaziah, is more like him than he is like David. Now we know David was far from perfect, but he was committed to the Lord. But Amaziah does not measure up even to David. But still it says he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord to some extent. He was generally a good king, but he was bad at it. He was a bad, good king. And the text highlights a couple good things and one really bad thing he did. First, the good things. Look at verse 5. Now it happened as soon as the kingdom was established in his hand that he executed his servants who had murdered his father the king, but the children of the murderers he did not execute according to that which is written in the book of the law of Moses in which the Lord commanded, saying, Fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall children be put to death for their fathers, but a person shall be put to death for his own sin. Now you remember, his father had been murdered. Now, his father Joash, he may have deserved it. Many people throughout the history of the world who have been murdered did in fact deserve to be murdered. But that does not justify the murderer. So it was right and just for Amaziah to execute the murderers of his father, the king. And we read also that he was just in that he did not also kill their children. He was obedient to Deuteronomy 24, 16 in the law of Moses. Children should not be put to death for the sin of their fathers. It was common practice in the world of that time to kill the children so they would not grow up and seek revenge. But at least in this matter, Amaziah put the law of God above the conventions of the day. Then in verse 7, 
We're told that he killed 10,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt and took Selah by war and called his name Jachtil to this day. But that victory seems to have given him the big head. So he then decides to challenge the northern kingdom of Israel to a battle. And the king of Israel, Jehoash, answers him with a parable. And and to save time, we'll just jump right to the explanation of the parable. Look at verse 10. You have indeed defeated Edom, and your heart has lifted you up. Glory in that and stay at home. For why should you meddle with trouble so that you fall, you and Judah with you? He's saying you beat the Edomites and you got the big head. You don't need to try to fight us now. You will be crushed. We are bigger than you are. Don't do this. But Amaziah will not listen to reason. And so the southern kingdom of Judah and the northern kingdom of Israel fight at the battle of Beth Shemesh. And that's a terrible thing King Amaziah did. Starting this unprovoked battle for no reason. As a result, Judah was defeated and the temple was raided and Jehoash, king of Israel, made off with all the gold, all the silver, and all the vessels that were left in the temple to that point. And and he took hostages with him. (coughs) You see, Amaziah's success went to his head. He got so overconfident that he wound up picking a fight he could not possibly win and a lot of people got killed or captured and the temple of the Lord was further disgraced. And in the end, just like his father, there was a conspiracy to murder Amaziah and it was successful. You can read it in verse 19. So we see that Amaziah was a bad, good king. Secondly, in this passage, we see a good, bad king. It's very important you you keep these in order because a bad, good king is not the same thing as a good, bad king. And now we're looking at a good, bad king. Look at verse 23. In the 15th year of Amaziah... The son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria and reigned 41 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel to sin. He restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-Hefer. So now, here, we go back to the northern kingdom of Israel. And now Jeroboam, he's actually Jeroboam II, is king and he's evil. He did not depart from the sins of the original Jeroboam way back in the day. And those sins were idolatry. Yet, despite the fact that the text says he was evil, 
It says, he reclaimed territory for Israel that had been lost to surrounding nations over the years. The old commentator Matthew Henry said that yet those evil, yet he prospered more than most of the kings of the north. For though in that one thing he did evil in the sight of the Lord, yet it is likely in other respects there was some good found in him. Now, I wouldn't go so quite so far as to say that there was some good found in him, but we can say that he did some good. So generally, he was a bad king who did some good things. He was a good, bad king. And notice that the latter part of verse 25 says that his success was according to the word of the Lord which he spoke through Jonah the prophet. This is in fact the same Jonah that we all know got swallowed by a great fish. Now, now here, these are totally different circumstances. Jonah prophesies a word of blessing on the nation of Israel. And as a result, under the reign of Jeroboam II, there was victory and success. The nation got back these territories they had lost and it was prosperous. Now what we need to see here is that the Lord blessed the nation and prospered the reign of King Jeroboam II in spite of him. It wasn't because of Jeroboam. It was because of the sheer unmerited grace of God that Jeroboam and the nation had success. Now, if we will quickly compare Jeroboam in the north with Amaziah in the south, we will see a principle that applies to every single one of us. Amaziah made a foolish decision to pick a fight he could not win. He brought disaster on himself by his own foolish pride. Jeroboam was blessed by God despite the fact that he was evil. Here's the principle. It applies to every one of us. For our sin and our foolishness and our failure, we have no one to blame but ourselves. Amaziah had no one to blame for his foolish decision to start that war. He had no one to blame but himself. But for our blessings and our successes, we have no one to praise 
but God. Jeroboam may have taken all kinds of credit. Most rulers, leaders, and politicians do take credit for every good thing that happens while they happen to be in charge. And somehow say everything bad that happens is somebody else's fault. But Jeroboam could take no credit for the good that happened during his reign. It was the sheer blessing of God. They had a gracious God in Israel, even though they had an awful king. You see, we like to blame God and everyone else for our problems. But we like to take credit. We absolutely do not deserve and we need to be thanking the Lord alone. We see a bad, good king. We see a good, bad king. And since we're going to have a congregational meeting and we've got a vote and I want everybody to be happy going into this meeting so it goes smooth and Ron doesn't have to moderate this meeting for more than five minutes. I want to leave you with a happy note. We've seen a bad, good king and a good, bad king, so why don't we see if we can find a good, good king before we quit? Thirdly, a good, good king. Look at verse 26. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, whether bond or free. There was no helper for Israel, and the Lord did not say that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, but he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, it never had a good king since it split off from the house of David. Yet, we read, the Lord was merciful. The Lord saw their affliction and saved them. Now you remember, you probably don't, but it says back in chapter 9 and verse 30, we saw sometime back the Lord promised Jehu that he would have a descendant sit on the throne for four generations. This king Jeroboam is the third generation down after Jehu. That's why he's there. The Lord is keeping his promise. See, that's what it is that gives stability in this crazy world. The promises of God. See, old hymn says, his oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood when all around my soul gives way. He then is all my hope and stay. But the promise to Jehu only lasts for four generations in the north. But now go back to verse 3. Look at verse 3. And he did... Amaziah, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, yet not like his father David. He did everything as his father Joash had done. Now skip down to verse 20. They brought him, Amaziah, he's dead. 
brought him on horses and he was buried at Jerusalem with his fathers in the city of David. Amaziah is a descendant of David. And he was buried in the family plot in Jerusalem. The Lord had promised David that his son would reign on the throne forever. That's why Amaziah's family wasn't annihilated before he was born. That's why even though he made the most foolish decisions imaginable, the Lord did not abandon him or the nation. And that's why 800 years later, when there was no descendant of David on the throne, that a carpenter took his betrothed to Bethlehem. And there, in the other city of David, the true and final son of David was born. You see, in that insane world, the Lord kept the line of Jesus alive. In spite of captivity and subjugation and wicked people trying to exterminate them. He kept them, preserved them alive and in the fullness of time he moved Caesar to issue a decree that all the world should be taxed just to get a carpenter to take Mary to Bethlehem. In the craziness of their world, the word of God still held and he was working in all circumstances to fulfill his word in Jesus Christ. The good news in this passage is that there were bad good kings and good bad kings. And there are also just plain bad kings. But there is a higher king, and he's the good, good king. He's the Lord. He was over all that craziness back then, and he's over all this craziness now. And he worked through all of it and over all of it to save his people, to keep his promise to David, to bring the Savior into the world, our good, good King, our Lord Jesus Christ. This world is crazy, but for all who have accepted and received and are resting on Jesus Christ alone, the Scripture says we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken and we have a perfect King. Have you bowed your knee before Jesus Christ and confessed that he alone is King of kings and Lord of lords? He alone is stability in this crazy 
and insane world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.